0: This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to in Safety. Today we're talking all about how do we measure safety? One of the biggest lingering issues that we still have, particularly in this kind of new view evolution that we're going through. Let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you some more about
1: it. The problem in safety
0: Crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Blue. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Rebounding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit that subscribe button, bell, algorithm, follow, whatever button it is, algorithm, finger Let's get into today's episode then. Today we're talking to a gentleman called Kelvin Genn. You remember Kelvin? You remember him? Been on the podcast before in our Safety 1, Safety 2 mini series. He's like one of the OGs for safety differently so we had Kelvin on talk all about that but he has since then been working on a, a new model I suppose a new framework on how to measure safety this is a big lingering issue for those of you that kind of follow what papers and stuff uh, that come out um, Decker and um, the the guy that's the lawyer the safety two lawyer person uh, he they, they put out a paper around like a resiliency measure score thingy majiggy and loads of little things. And unbeknownst to all of us, all of us, Kelvin and Sydney have been working together behind the scenes to put together an actual framework to, to do it, to fix it, to actually get that. And um, it's going to be available to most people, I believe. Uh, Kelvin says in the podcast, it's going to be available free. So anyway, I'm not going to spoil it anymore. I'll let Kelvin introduce himself in the podcast. Um, And I really enjoyed this chat. I always quite enjoy talking to Kelvin Anyway, um, and a big big time difference, so hat tip to Kelvin, I think it was very early for him, or was it very late for me, I can't remember, it was quite a while ago, we recorded it. Um, But before we get into the podcast, quick shout out to Paradigm Human Performance. Paradigm Human Performance are human organizational experts and they've also just partnered with uh, the American company consultant called Shane Bush who is also an OG of Hop. So you've now got two absolute Hop geniuses combined together to create Paradigm HP plus Shane Bush. An amazing partnership of an already existing amazing team that Paradigm have and specialize in human organizational performance. If you're looking for some, some support on working out how to kind of deal with human error how to deal with the deviation of work how to manage drift uh, and all of that stuff how to get the human and the organization to perform together it doesn't it it says it on the tin doesn't it same as rebranding safety nailed it so if you're looking for a hop specialist and paradigm is the place for you if you're still not sure go and check out their website and go to the learning organization webinar uh, as well great resource so go check that out um they're doing loads of stuff in the new year so keep an eye out follow treaser follow paradigm on linkedin so thank you very much paradigm sponsoring this podcast let's jump into today's conversation with kelvin again kelvin welcome back to the podcast
1: thanks james uh good
0: to speak to you again been a little while it has it has been a little while since the last time you came on it was uh the mini, the safety, I'd say min, mini-series, but it was more of a mammoth series when we were looking at safety one and safety two differently, not, not different, and so on and so forth, which, which proved to be very popular, and you were part of that, so thank you very much. Yeah, and I'm pleased to be involved in the conversation. No, it was a good chat, a lot of good feedback off, off all the episodes, really, but particularly yours as well. So today we're going to talk about something that you approached me about, um, the, the Due Diligence Index for Safety. Um, which i think i think you 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 know probably intend that to be a solution that we've all been looking for for a very long while we've all known that triffa and lti and all this stuff are, uh, are massively not fit for purpose and we're all sitting around waiting for somebody very clever to do something um and we don't really have much so do you want to probably introduce yourself um and then introduce a kind of due diligence framework and then we'll we'll kind of dig deep into it from there if that's all right
1: Yeah, thanks James. Um, uh, Yeah, so Kelvin Genn, I'm the uh, Managing Director uh, for Art of Work and also been um, part of a partnership to uh, do something differently in the measurement space uh, for safety, uh, really over the last three years this project's uh, been running. So it's a great opportunity, James, to have this conversation and uh, introduce the work and and where it's at. And uh, uh, and the, the opportunity to do something different in the space. Mm. For sure. Running for
0: three years. That's interesting. So this is not, so this this must have, because obviously the, the Decker and Tuma paper came out recently, but, but actually this, so were you working alongside them with that paper or is that paper even related to what you were doing or?
1: Yes. Or it's, uh, it's part of the work that we're, we're doing. So um, uh, art of work and uh Sydney Decker through Griffith University and uh, Clyde & Co um, Mm. with uh, Michael Toomer. Um, Mm -hmm. We've been collaborating on uh, this process for for just over three years. uh, And that uh, paper was uh, part of that work uh, Ah. to uh, try to put something into the literature space uh, to to have a broader discussion around this topic.
0: So all the stuff that they alluded to, all those scores and stuff that were not necessarily there, you're already working on in the background. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah, they're all been developed. Uh, there's been, um, like I said, three years of work, two years of developing and trialling um, these, uh, these measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we get, we're now to the point where uh, this is ready for uh, release and sharing into the public domain. So that's uh, um, the process that we're, we're now embarking upon. And hence, you know, um, my, my interest in having a conversation with you, James, and, and your audience in this space. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think it's something, um, Kelvin, that we, I mean, personally, for me, I mean, in my day job, um, we're, we're trying to kind of get our industry to think a little bit differently about about the stuff. And um, monitoring and measuring is one of the things that, inevitably we just come up you know I come up with against a brick wall on because it it comes back to that point of being like yeah this is this is not very good the stuff that we're currently using and then the next inevitable question is okay cool what do we do instead and the safety profession I I think mostly uh, are lacking on that side so this is quite nice to um to see a bit of
1: work you know in that space. Yeah, look, it's interesting, James. You're right. There's been a universal conversation around measurement, and um, and there are different sides of the discussion, but um, a fairly significant criticism in the safety profession uh, about uh, the role that TRIFA and LTFR are playing uh, as a metric and the limitations uh, of that. And the first thing I think it's worth saying is that um, we nearly need to pay homage. Um, to the measurement process and what's you know what is there at the moment with uh, uh, with the lag measures and, and you know the frequency rate measures that have been there. I've, I've been in safety, as you know, for a very long time and probably nearly 38 years now, James. When when I started in safety, there were no measures uh, mm-hmm. in this space, and also there was not um, attention and interest. Uh, by boards and and the leadership uh, in safety. Um, It was uh, not considered to be um, something that was in the forefront, you know, of running um, a business and the welfare of its people were were not something that was in the forefront of management thinking at that time. And so if we go back to that point, at that point there was a search to try and put a measure uh, in place to drive and change um, the attention and focus and and behaviour of leadership. And uh, so originally, the, if, we, if we go back to, you know, the frequency rate measures, the lost time injury frequency rate measure was a derivative uh, from the insurance industry, the, um, uh, the, the um, labour uh, insurance process uh, by one form or another in different countries where they had um, uh, wanted to understand, you know, uh, what were um, the rates of injury uh, or rates of injury in different industries. And the frequency rate was developed, you know, the number of lost time injuries per million hours worked was a way of uh, trying to understand the nature of the problem uh, that was Mm -hmm. there and to give some benchmarking into industry. And to to that extent, um, it was something that could be communicated to boards very effectively to say you you should be interested uh, in the amount of injury in your business. Um, and if you're going to you know get some engagement in that space it needs to be quantified in some way and it did mm-hmm. that so i think in in the initial sense the the intent and purpose of, of the frequency rates uh, was well intended and i think quite effective it, it brought attention and focus there's if we go back you know um, through the, the 70s uh, and 80s um, and uh, there was a, you know a very significant rate of industrial injury place it put a, a spotlight on that Mm. And as a result, you know, we, we then got the interest of management um, who then started to engage and invest in the um, strategies around safety and tried to work out how to reduce this problem. And, and that's essentially what happened. There was, um, there was engagement and I think uh, a significant improvement in that space. Mm. So, so in looking to do something differently, um, it's sort of looking at to, well, is that measure uh, is it serving us well now, uh, as it had done uh, early on in, in, if you like, the, the safety journey that organisations are on? And over time, the nature of that measurement and how it functioned within safety management has changed. It um, it migrated into being, you know, a, a performance measure and in, in most organisations had then been tied to uh, incentives um, to uh improve the, the measure, reduce the number of injuries uh, being the intention of that process. And, and that has happened. And um, as safety's improved uh, in that space, the, um, the number of injuries has significantly um, uh, decreased. And we, I think we then we arrived at a point where the usefulness of the, uh, the measure became, well, came into question. Uh, as such, and and that is because we started to see uh, a change in behaviour in, in management and organisations where I think the original intent being on the focus of reducing and managing injury in the business shifted to managing a statistic um, in mm. the business. Uh, and in essence, um, that, be- that became an issue as the numbers got lower, uh, it became... Uh, more and more difficult, and we started to put tremendous effort into uh, things like, you know, um, classification and you know, whether injuries met criteria to be reportable, and and all of these processes got driven around these incentive processes. A significant incentive to try uh, and prevent injuries from, you know, uh, falling into the criteria and being counted to some degree. So, so that's at the point. So, and really in safety, this became started to become apparent. In the early 2000s, um, that this this was uh, an issue, particularly uh, in the mining and construction uh, industries, we're seeing these trends start to occur. And uh, uh, by 2012, um, the International Council for Mining and Minerals uh, undertook a review of um, performance measures. And uh, one of the things that they pointed out was the significant issues that had arisen around um, the uh, frequency rate measures. Uh, and that uh, new measures needed to be pursued and started to frame you know, some of the discussion, particularly around leading indicators uh, in the space and shifting into that space. So, um, we, and we did see a bit of a shift, but the, um, uh, those frequency measure rates uh, remained in place. And what we started to do was to add new measures, um, you know, the lead indicators, if you like. And, and I think, again, what happened, what we saw was, Uh, the introduction of a range of measures that became the counting of things. So Mm. um, it it became a collection of measures, you know, for example, leadership interactions or um, hazard um, identification, you know, a whole range of things. And people were rewarded for uh, doing more of these things. Mm. So there was no connection with... um, uh, the materiality or the quality of that mm. was simply that more must be better than less. So, yeah. for example, you could do a thousand hazard identifications, um, which in essence might be meaningless, and another part of the business might do one hazard identification, which might be, you know, um, really effective in improving safety. Mm. But the, the the count of the thousand was considered to be better performance than the one. The mm. Yeah. You know, so. So in in searching for something different, this is what we came in. There was a lot of focus around lead indicators. I think, unfortunately, we just drifted into a space, again, where we were providing incentives to do more of something. We started to do more of the generator, And and we've looked at lots of organisations in this space, particularly around leadership uh, interactions in that space. And when when you actually look at it, um, and there's been um, analysis in this space to show that um, where you reward um, the recording uh, of a transaction, finding something that needs to be fixed uh, in that space, uh, you, you then drift into uh, photocopy safety. And when you look at the nature of what's been reported and counted, you can actually see the same things been reported time and time again. Mm. And in essence, people you know, get into a habit of just uh, putting content in without substance. They mm. just keep replicating things mm. in that space. Definitely. So, so that sort of, you know, really set the scene. And then um, just to give a little bit more of the background, um, safety, in terms of the work that was happening around safety too and safety differently uh, and these things, we were really shifting our focus away from um, the, the, the focus on you know the absence of things going wrong, which is great. But what we started to find in working with organisations is that um, as long as you had a measurement structure that was driven around this measurement of um, a, the negative safety performance, it nearly prevented you from really entering in and be able to put into place all of the, the changes that we've come to understand need to happen in safety, all the positive uh, concepts that we need to drive um, get dampened by um, a reactive response that happens as soon as you have the next... Um, an incident event and you have an impact on the rate that you tend to revert to this reactive type nature. Mm. Um, so, so even with, the, you know, really well-intentioned, lots of effort in trying to change the safety philosophy and culture, the measures themselves um, were creating performance drag as such. And so this is why a few years ago we got in space saying, well, um something needs to change in the measurement space if we're really going to enter in and change the way safety is done uh, uh, broadly across uh, industry. Um, we need a new way of measuring and informing the leadership of the business. So uh, so that, that began um, the work. And um, so the other part of the process uh, that then kicked in is that, well, we went back and then started to think about, well, what's the purpose of... Of measurement, as such, what what's it there to do? And we went back to that original measure. It's about informing the the leadership team to make better decisions about how they resource, um, where they um, provide uh, input, uh, where they where they uh, they challenge um, uh, the operations of the business, and where they and how they understand the needs and the gaps um, that are there uh, for you know undertaking safe and productive work as such. Now, in, in, um, um, in this space, um, we looked at what are the obligations the boards have uh, in terms of their, their regulatory obligations. And so um, the, some of the work here was done by Clyde & Co uh, globally um, to look at what are the uh, regulatory performance obligations that all organisations have. And in essence it was identified that um, either directly or indirectly within the legislation, depending on the country um, that you're in, that there were, there were six key elements that boards were required to, to satisfy. And those were the things that um, if you ended up uh, in a situation where you had um, a safety um, uh, event that you're going to be held accountable to, uh, in, in terms of a regulatory intervention of one form or another. Okay. And uh, so those um, uh, six elements are the first obligation um, is to know. So that what that obligation means is the organisation must um, maintain the safety knowledge state for the organisation and its people. So what in essence it says is uh, you must uh, look to... Um, the knowledge state that sits there, whether it's in um, the research um, that's happening, other industries, the practice, and to understand what is happening in the space that you're working within from a safety perspective to ensure that you're capturing and acquiring that knowledge into your own organisation. So that's a fundamental principle that you have an obligation to actually know the knowledge state for safety relative to what you do.
0: Can I just come in on that one for a second? I I think that that's really interesting. And I think it's, it's nice to see that we, we, we are trying to kind of treating the, the knowledge, the knowledge of our, of our company and not just our safety team of safety, um, as, as, as kind of something to continually improve on, to kind of use, to kind of phrase on it, but, um, What is the right knowledge, I think would be an interesting question, because I think there's enough there's 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 people out there that still think that the safety science stuff that's going on is not worth the, the paper it's written on. And there's there's, you know, there are leading kind of professional membership bodies, you know, especially here in the UK. Our largest one doesn't really engage with any of this safety science stuff. Well, they have the journal, but do you know what I mean? I think for a leader, it's like, yeah, we're going to measure your knowledge, but like, how do they know what knowledge is right and what, or is that for my
1: job? Yeah, what the beauty of it is, is this is in a legal framework rather than a professional framework. So Mm -hmm. within the legal framework, the the legal framework doesn't give a right or wrong answer to that question. What it does say is you need to be able to demonstrate how you acquire knowledge from whatever source, you know, it can be from industry peers or it can be from... It doesn't, doesn't define where you have to source that from. Of course, but yeah. You, but you have to be able to demonstrate that you're constantly learning and updating about the, um, the state of safety practice relative to what you do. You know, it's, it's not safety right across all domains, but if you're a constructor, you need to be up to date with what's happening in construction safety. And you know, and make sure that knowledge is coming in, and and then you've got to be able to show. Well, how do you transfer that knowledge into? The, and there be things, and we already know you get prosecutions that attach to um, in induction and supervision training, you know, the whole range of things. But that, mm. that's where that comes from. Is that obligation sits there, and you've got to be able to show how you satisfy that. Yeah. So it's so this question is not. Um, about what that knowledge is, it's just that you can show Doing that you have a process of acquiring uh, knowledge.
0: Okay, and does that and does that inc- that's like the kind of the workforce in general, and not the safety team. So also, you're looking at those kind no. of operational yeah, you- roles and the board
1: as well. Yeah, it's, uh, so this is th- this really doesn't relate to the safety team at all. I mean, that be- can be one way you demonstrate that through the safety team you're bringing that knowledge in. That's yeah, thing, but but it actually applies. To the, the the operation management and the doing of work mm. in the business, right? So that that's where the test is applied. And, I, I and you could have you could have no safety professionals in your organisation and satisfy this requirement.
0: I think that's an important point to note that you've obviously picked out in that. You know, not every company has a safety professional, so that's good. I think right. that you've kind of put in that out. And also, I think that is a key issue that I've experienced in my work in life in that safety is for the safety team, yeah. you know, and 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 I don't because I employ a safety person, I don't yeah. need to have any knowledge of safety. And that's yes. a, the biggest challenge that I still have now to this day, like years and years into this career, and I still every day have the same challenge of trying to tell kind of what I call risk owners, line managers, process owners, and things like that to say, no, 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 you own that risk. I'm just here as a specialist to guide you. So I, I, I kind of like that, that 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 knowledge of safety yeah, measurement so helps if, that. If we,
1: if we put that into a governance frame, framework, James, we can say that you might have the world's best safety team uh, mm-hmm. on board, uh, and the organisation has given all safety responsibility to that team. You have... Um, uh, an adverse event occur and a prosecution occurs and the, the, um, the defence of the company says, we have the world's best safety team here. But the, the mm. courts will say, well, um, but how does that knowledge get to the people who do the work, who supervise the work, who plan the work, who do the work? Yeah. Uh, if it's all being left to the safety team, well, that's not going to count.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, no, I like that. Right, I don't want to spend too much time on each one, otherwise we won't cover all of them. So, what's point? What's measurement to then?
1: Is is understand, and understand is nearly a bit of the heart of, and soul um, of, of of your obligation. So, understand means that you need to understand what hazards exist uh, in in your business. Um, you need to understand the risks that attach to the hazards. And, the, and whether the controls or the control strategies that you apply to those hazards are effective. You know, so so this, this is the heart and soul when you think about what happens in safety is saying that your obligation from um, a governance point of view is to, in the type of work that you do, you need to be able to demonstrate that you know the hazards and the risks. And also you've got a process of understanding that the control strategies apply work you know, are effective in one form or another. So when you think of a lot about what we do the safety, a lot of the work does come into this space, you know, whether it be um, risk registers and uh, um, and putting in critical controls and a range of these things, this, this is what that element is. And what you need to be able to do from a board point of view is to be able to communicate that effectively, is that as a board, do you understand the hazards that uh, exist uh, and that the controls satisfactory they're actually um they're they're more they're adequately meeting and addressing and preventing unwanted outcomes from those hazards
0: mm. in the business. so i feel like um well firstly i i kind of like the word understand you know as a, as a kind of type for me understand how to exist understand risks attached to those hazards and and the the effective you know the effectiveness of those mitigations that you put in place for, for me that that is that's that's interesting because I think I think back to a previous role that I'd been in where I'd worked within fire safety and actually one of the biggest issues was just getting senior leaders to actually understand what the fire risk assessment said and what it meant yeah. and what it did and what its scope was and you know after months and years and years of of kind of doing all this work and you get to a point where the leaders still don't really understand so many things um as to what we're trying to achieve here i think that that's interesting these both of these measures to me kelvin they seem very qualitative like it's maybe there's a bit of quantitative stuff within the knowledge of safety eg counting the roots of of, yeah. or, or how many times you read a paper or something like But to me, it's like if I'm going to measure someone someone's understanding it feels much more to me if i'm the auditor going kelvin could you just explain to me what that actually means so what does compartmentation mean for example and they should be able to relay that back is is that right so
1: so that's a really interesting point because part of this is being able to turn this into a measure so that's Mm. why we've spent three years working on on this um because you're right it is that but the the objective is is to be turned it into um, if you like, a, a numerical uh, assessment. Now, there, it's nearly impossible to escape um, qualitative measures uh, in this space, mm-hmm. but there there's needs to be a method. And I'll say, I'll give you an example of qualitative method. If you um, have a risk matrix um, and you, you look at that risk matrix and you put in your control strategy to see what the residual risk is in terms of probability and consequence, that's a qualitative assessment. But it, it gives you, um, you know, when you come out the other side, you can demonstrate this is how we understand the potential of this risk. Here's our strategy, and here's how we're qua- we're quantifying the um, uh, the effect that that control has to re- um, to re- arrive at a residual risk. That, that 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 is a qualitative assessment, but it is um, a, a method a method where you can demonstrate, you know, how it is. Now, what I would say is that's um that's not the method we would use in this metric but there are methods that which are contained within this process um to look at and understand how we got a way of understanding the effectiveness of the controls but still in essence there's a lot of qualitative nature in that assessment mm. as well taken. yeah you've kind of got two problems it comes back to the original
0: problem isn't it is like we can count how many times people do stuff to improve their knowledge and understanding. But ultimately, if you put crap in, you get crap out kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next point. I think we'll keep coming back to that point of actually how we measure it anyway, inevitably, but let's move on to the next point.
1: Yeah. Well, the the third one is your obligation to resource safety. Um, So as an organization, you need to be able to show um, that, um, what are uh, the demands of the resources that people need to work safely and effectively, um, and then be able to, to demonstrate what are the resources to meet that demand as such. So this is this is very much um, a frontline assessment. When you ask, you know, what people, um, what you're looking for in this space, you know, is that um, have people uh, got... Uh, the right tools, the right equipment, have they got um, the time, have they got the skills and capacity um, that are needed uh, to do the work? Uh, and you've got a way of actually um, assessing um, that need and then being able to demonstrate, you know, or well, what is uh, the resource that has been provided you know what is the nature do the do the tools provided meet their requirement does um uh does the time allocated meet the requirement do do the people have the skills to do that uh, the work safety uh, uh, safely and effectively so it's a way you you're matching these two things what do people need this is the work um, as done if you like um versus the worker's plan being what are we giving them to do the work and, and understanding what's the gap between those two things.
0: Mm, that's interesting as
1: well. And I think,
0: um, yeah, I suspect there's quite a comprehensive list under that resource management, but I think there's, um, there, there's, there, there's a good point there. I mean, it's a, the measurement of, I mean, I'm just thinking back to when I've worked in healthcare and, 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 um, particularly like a a mental health kind of hospital um, from my, from my previous experience in that, you know, the number of staff on shift is is literally the difference between a riot and, and a quiet day. Um, And, and that, that is a resource for safety. So actually, how many how many times are we understaffed and how many times are we overstaffed through a year is a very good indication of us yeah. resource and safety.
1: That's a really good example, James. And but what what and what, whilst you're on that, what I would say the resource question is not is how many safety people do you have, right? Oh um, no, sorry, that's the, they they were like uh,
0: nurses, HTAs, things like that. The yeah, actual yeah, operational yeah, staff.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is oh sorry, I, I agree completely. Is. That's what I'm saying. Is I agree completely. What did, what this resourcing issue is about having the resources to do the work. So in that case, mm. having the right enough nurses to do the work, universal, you know, as opposed to having not enough nurses to do the work and having a ratio of safety people. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Organization. So this this the resourcing is not measuring, saying, you know, have you got you know one um, health and safety person to x number of workers in that space. Mm. That, that's not a resource measurement it's about that operational need is what you were touching on is that you know have people got what they need to do the work um, mm. in that space so it's a, it's a really interesting concept um, and, and one that we um, we haven't paid a lot of attention to I think as as, as safety professionals
0: yeah I, I think that for me that that's surprisingly because I was, I was quite my thoughts were one more kind of uh, uh, normally I would probably think yeah the knowledge and understanding thing, that that is what I kind of, but actually that the measurement of resources and attaching that to safety I think is a really key point because I think we just see so like understaffing for example in healthcare situation we just see that as that's just that's just life that's just reality yeah. and we, we rarely make that connection to the risks that that generates from a safety point of view yeah. um, and I think that that if we can do that for via this me- measure that you've, that you've kind of, you guys have, have kind of put together, I think that's really powerful. It's at turning around and saying, you know, actually, if, if, if you think about, yes, it's all, oh yeah, we're understaffed and it's really hard for us to kind of get quality staff or whatever. Yeah. That, that's all right. I get, I get the challenge, but ultimately that's going to start to impact your, your safety because yeah. you're just understaffed um, all the
1: time. I touch on this. This really comes out of Eric Holnagel's work. You know, which okay. says um, when, when he says when you look at safety, you know, uh, the, the, when you when you get into um, uh, issues, it's around resourcing, and it's when demand exceeds capacity of uh, mm-hmm. the workers. You don't have the resource that is needed to undertake the, the work that is that, that has been done. So, yeah. Eric's work is very much in that resilience engineering piece about this um uh, capacity and demand equation.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. And I, I think, do you know what it's so I just I'm just thinking back to like when I was I was literally as, as you probably know, in, in the UK we've just had well in the your Euro, in Europe we've just had the, the football a tournament um, yeah. and the Euros, and everyone lost their shit because England actually did well for once. Um,
1: Except, um, can't, keep, can't keep penalty goals. Is that the issue?
0: Or? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's has always been the issue. I'm not really a football fan, so I, I'm probably just going to pee everyone off if I comment too much on it. Um, but um, there was some videos that came out of the of the fans storming Wembley. They broke through. That I don't know if you saw them, but they broke no. through the barricade and there and then and and I just the first thing that came to my head was those poor stewards yeah. like and, and normally stewards game are low paid sometimes volunteers um you know they're just they they're just normal people that be stewards um because they're they're more intended to be used as a deterrent actually as opposed to something that physically stops something and they broke those fences they go through and i'm just thinking oh my god these people swarms of people just swallowed up the stewards and they're gone and in my head i'm just thinking we're just going to blame the stewards at some point but if we look at this from that, that measurement point of view obligation to resource safety the two things i'll be looking at there is well that we didn't resource that fence very well because the fence didn't take much much resistance whatsoever to the crowd and then did we resource the number of stewards maybe not but also the kind of the quality of the still the steward so if if something did go wrong does that steward have the capacity to deal with that or are they yeah. just low paid um kind of you know
1: enthusiasts of that sport Yep, yeah. and um you can go back to the second element too, the understand one is it's quite mm. predictable that this would occur. What were as an organization, do we understand the nature of the hazards that um, could be raised? And have we got the control strategies in place? Mm. Being that we get, you know, the um, uh, we, we can expect that the barricades might be broken and what's our strategy? Yeah, no,
0: that's a really good point. Really good point. I think I'm gonna write that down. Wembley, great example. <laughs> Um, that's a really good point, Calvin. Okay, do you want to move on to the next point?
1: Sorry, did you say yeah, there were six? six? Yeah, six. So, six, well, yeah. we've we've done three. Three yeah. to go. Um, mm-hmm. The fourth obligation is you have an obligation to monitor performance for safety. So, um, so th- this is not prescribed in any way. So, firstly, in the legislation, um, uh, and, and even within the public reporting requirements for listed companies um, uh, in the in the different stock exchanges. Uh, there's nothing that is prescribed to say this is how you, you measure safety. Now, we, we often use lost time injury frequency rate or, or, or TRIFA as, as that measurement because we have nothing else. But what you have is an obligation is, uh, uh, is to monitor um, the, the performance of safety. So there can, the, you can include lag measures um, into this space. Um, there's, uh, yeah, there's a range of different measures that can be used uh, in this space. You know, for example... Uh, a severity measure would be a monitor, um, uh, a measure that uh, you could have in place. Uh, but w- you—it's up to you to determine what are the transactional measures to understand uh, the nature of safety performance. You know, it might relate to um, the the um, the injury or incident events, the potential incident. There's a range of different things in the space, but that's that's where you have the opportunity to look at that transactional nature uh, of safety performance in one way or another. What's been interesting is we've worked with different organisations. Is This measure often looks very different in different organisations. Um, and uh, um, I'll give you an example. Sometimes um, the measures in this uh, are unexpected. Uh, one of the organisations that we work for is um, like a, a retail warehousing Um uh, operation selling like um, hardware style products, and one one of the measures that they've you um, put into this place is the overstocking of um, of the retail warehouse. Uh, and what they've what they've come to understand is that uh, when a particular warehouse is overstocked, meaning that they've got um, stock that'll be stored um, in in unusual places like. Uh, it'll be a lot higher. There'll be a lot more stock around. different movement mm-hmm. is there, uh, they have met a lot more injuries when that occurs. So what they use is their monitor measure is their overstocking rate as a predictor of where they're going to have safety issues. Uh, and they're, then they're, they're looking for is mm-hmm. when they look at a store where its, um, its stock levels uh, are moving beyond where they should be, it allows them to intervene in this space. So the, the monitor measure is um, something that, um is uh, interesting and it's about trying to find uh, measures in that space that are relative to your operational performance and give you an insight into the transactional nature of what's happening within the safety in in your organization
0: Mm. that that sounds like a very mature company to put that 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 observation together um yeah i wonder if you would get that in a less mature
1: company no, and that's why I said I think there's a range of measures in this space. So, what we would what we'd often say is if you um, uh, are going to need to measure um, you know, a lag measure, we would advocate that you shift to a severity rate measure rather than an injury frequency rate measure. Uh, so,
0: okay,
1: the, the, so the severity
0: very, rate measure for, for uh, kind of kind
1: of break that down for me. Yeah, like it'll be like the days lost per 1,000 hours worked is right, a yeah. severity measure. So it gives you, and, and again, you know the problem with lost time injury and triffer rates is that, uh, you know, uh, a count of one on a lost time injury frequency rate might be a sprain uh, in someone's back and it might be an amputation of someone's arm. You know, so they both equal one in that space. It gives you no reflection of the nature of the problem, whereas you can use something like severity in this space, which gives you, you know, the the amputation will give you a completely different severity measure to the back strain, for example, um, that occurs. So um, it gives you much more um, a nature, a, a real insight into the nature of the safety performance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, th- this is the one I think that's going to be the hardest one. I think, Kelvin, I don't know what you think um, to kind yeah. of nail down, because I think if we like that's just just kind of breaking down that severity measure thing, like initially we said days lost, but we don't like LTI, but those two are very similar, days lost and, and LTIs.
1: Yeah, except um, the LTIs um, are, are a count. So, you know, the, it, if you have one day off or 100 days off, it equals one in that space. Whereas oh, the severity yeah. rate, it actually is the number of days that occurs. So if if you have an event where it's one day off, it counts as one day. If it's a thousand days off, it's a thousand is your count. Mm, okay, I'm
0: with you. So you would do would you do something like days lost for that severity area, or just days lost in general as a company to from safety or lack yeah. of well, safety? It,
1: yes, it'd be yeah injury related days lost. So days yeah. days lost related to to, to injury. Uh, on a pro rata basis. So, you know, like I said, um, you can convert it into the hours lost for a 1,000 days. There's different different scales that you can use, but um, that sort of scale, we find that that scale of days lost per 1,000 hours works gives you a a reasonably workable metric. Yeah,
0: okay. And ultimately, this means that we are still... We're still counting accidents, obviously, uh, as part of this, because both the examples, the counting of accidents. Yeah, look, there's required. different –
1: yeah, you, you're trying to understand the nature of safety transactions in the monitor uh, yeah. measure. Yeah. Cool.
0: Okay. Any other Any kind of other examples that you think are important to pull out on that one? Because I think that's the one uh, where people might get a bit lost on.
1: Yeah, look, the, um, and, and again, it's the, you can work into, and this has been done by severity, is look at the nature of events that, that have occurred. So the incidents that are occurring marked um, as uh, consequence levels. So, you know, generally certain organisations, you know, you've got your first aid style, you know, you've got your minor injury, major injuries for, is the, the other way to do this is actually have a look at the, uh, the occurrence of those in those different bands and give them a rate as well, which will give you an indication of the number of transactions that are occurring. And that can be coupled with this process.
0: Okay, yeah. Nice one, okay, okay, cool. Um, Next one?
1: The the fifth one is your obligation to comply. So this is your obligation to, um, you've got an obligation to meet the regulatory requirements um, it might be in, in certain – it depends on the industry In There might be some, some industry-specific requirements like rail, for example, and aviation all have their own obligations um, for uh, compliance and your obligation uh, to comply with this um, uh, the system uh, that you put in place for your organisation. So mm-hmm. you have an obligation. To, if you design a system of work, um, uh, you've got an obligation to be able to show that you actually uh, work um, uh, as intended in that space. So you're doing what you say you do is mm. the, the nature of the comply piece.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so this piece is, and we, we, we sort of describe this as understanding the gap between work as intended and work as done, is that that's what you're really measuring in this space. Is So what you're trying to understand is um, having, having the ability to assess how work is actually transacted, uh, in accordance and how that differs from the workers intended being how it's designed procedures, work methods, you know, all those uh, sorts of uh, processes and have the ability to understand the gap between those two things.
0: Mm. I think that's, a, that, that's quite a key one for me. I think, um, I think there's two things in there, Kelvin. I think that sometimes we can go so far down the, I don't know, safety differently route that we end up forgetting that still we do have legal obligations that we have to comply with. Compliance is still inevitably part of what we need to do. So I yeah. think that that kind Look, of ticks one box.
1: I think that's important because the safety differently thing, um, it often gets labelled as that. It's about, not about compliance, but yeah um, that's, that's not actually correct. It, it's about um, trying to design... Um, uh, a way of, of working that is safe and productive. And, and in, in that, you're going to construct things about uh, work has to be done in a particular way. Um, this this sits in aviation. And safety Different says, well, you know, well, that's fine. That's what we'll do it. But if what we've got to have the ability to do is to challenge it and work out, is there a better way of doing this and you know, allowing that adaption to occur mm-hmm. um, rather than just complying for compliance sake? That's mm-hmm. Right. Yeah,
0: and I think that's uh, that's my second point on on that is that I think actually the, la- the toward the latter that you said when, you, when you're kind of in that understanding or measuring uh, the kind of work is designed and work is done um, is, is a key thing. I think actually if, if we started really measuring that, yeah. there's, there is a lot of documentation out there, particularly risk assessments and method statements within the UK where we go... Actually, that's not how work is done. But how, how do you actually see that being measured? Do you see a kind of work has done work as imagined audit kind of thing? Yeah,
1: it's an audit. The, the interesting thing is definitely audit tools are involved in this process. Mm. But the, the difference in these tools is they look both ways. Right? Right. So, so firstly, they look at how work is done um, and, they, uh, and they do that from a process of engagement and curiosity and then they look at how work was intended in terms of what do the procedures and systems say, and the challenge is equally equally distributed both ways. To say well, um, it's not if the work is not been done as it's described, that can equally mean that the way that it's been described and set up is um, is potentially wrong and not suited to how work is done, and that needs it, you might need to change the way that it's been designed equally uh, Rather than just force the work to comply with the way that it's described. So, the positioning of this piece is to come at it and understand that um, that uh, you need to understand what people need and what they're trying to do and how they what they need to support them to do that safely and successfully, yeah. and then look at the system and is the system actually meet the needs of both the regulatory obligations but also the needs of people doing the job. Mm. So it's 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 a method of looking both ways rather than what we've traditionally done is only look in one direction. Just saying, here's what the rules are, why aren't you complying with them? Yeah, the
0: workers, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I like that, I like that. Okay, last but not least.
1: Yes, and not least at all, verify um, is the last one. This is about um, engagement. So what you need to verify in an organisation is... This, the, if you like, the state of safety across the, the organisation, how people are engaged the, and what is the culture and practice of safety. Now, uh, and to give you an insight into the tool that we're using here, um, we're actually uh, advocating the use of the Net Promoter Score uh, for this particular measure.
0: The what score, uh, sorry?
1: The Net Promoter Score. So uh, Net Promoter Score, is um, uh, it, it's a business tool. It's uh, developed by Bain & Co out of um, Harvard and... Um, it's the most, probably the most common um, uh, measure that's used across, um, uh, uh, across you know, the consumer um, industry. And look, and you, you'll, you will have done the net promoter score, James. Uh, have you ever been asked a, a survey question that said, um, how would you rate this product or this service on a... Uh, or, or, uh, sorry, it would say, uh, would you recommend this product or service to a friend or family member on a, and, and what would you rate it on a scale of 0 to 10?
0: Right, okay, so would definitely recommend, would definitely not recommend. Kind that's of right.
1: Yep, yeah, I've done that, yep. oh,
0: so yeah. So that's, that's called net a net promoter, promoter score. score. Didn't even know that. Yeah, so <laughs> that's brand new to yeah, me.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very, er, nearly every company, you can go and look up the net promoter scores, like for Apple or all those. They're all published out there. You can see what their net promoter score. All the airlines have them. Mm-hmm. Every okay. government, even the government utilities mm-hmm. will, all use it. So we, we we've said, well, why don't we apply... Um, you know, uh, that, that to safety? Um, in essence, what you do is you constantly survey across the organisation. Would you um, recommend the way that safety is done at company X, whoever you are, to a friend or family member from, you know, from from zero, uh, not at all, to um, 10 being highly recommended in that space? And so what the science... and It's really interesting. It's a very simple question. Um, it doesn't give you... Uh, any insights into what's right or wrong with it, but it gives you uh, a very strong measure of engagement, of uh, whether, um, whether we're, you know, what you're doing in the safety space is connecting with people uh, and they're actively engaged and convinced about it, that this is, uh, this is a great thing to be doing. I would love to see the answer of that question
0: from, from employees would you rec- would you recommend that your you know daughter work here, yeah. for example, from a safety point of view? Right. Yeah. Do you think that that heavily relies on Kelvin? though, like how comfortable people are being honest within that company.
1: Oh yeah, look, and the, the net promoter score again. All these things only work how you design it. Mm. The, the, the net promoter score is designed um, to be a completely anonymous. Um, system. So when you go out and survey, you cannot uh, you, you cannot identify um, the person who's been surveyed. The only thing that you'll be able to identify would be a business unit, for example. Mm. So yeah. uh, so you'll know it's come. Each business unit will have a score. Each region will have a score from collecting it. But from an individual's point of view, there, there's no traceability, no kickback in that space. Mm. Mm.
0: That was number six, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: So that's they're the six. So, in essence, these so these are the obligations of boards that to know, um, to understand, to resource, to monitor, to comply, and to verify. So if so 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 the and that's where we put this together, James. The challenge we put out to saying, take your existing measures, and see do they meet this. Um, set of criteria, do they answer the questions about the board's obligations to know, understand, resource, monitor, comply, and verify?
0: I think that's a good question. I think a lot would.
1: I think a, you, l- a lot would. You will find little bits of it.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. I think a lot would probably fall into loosely that monitor performance yeah. kind of gap. Um or, or, or slot, sorry. Or probably um, uh, there'll
1: be some in the understand space as well, I'm sure. You
0: know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think the last two, the, the, the two before that, I think most will sit their stuff. If I'm just thinking about how I've monitored safety and measured safety in my experience, I think that people would put most of the stuff in monitor and obligation to comply. Yeah. But but I think that's where which you kind of come into my next question, actually, Kelvin, it would be there's going to have to be a hell of a lot, in my opinion, of guidance yeah. around so like examples and guidance as to what monitor very, um, performance
1: actually is. A very good question. So, so this, like I said, we've invested three years of work into this. Um, at the, in, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be launching um, the Due Diligence uh, Index Council, uh, which will, is going to be um, a, uh, an independent um a steward for uh, the index. So it will be an organisation which, which will be set up simply to, um, to, to manage the standard for um, the uh, due diligence index. Um, and that organisation um, will have no commercial um, attachments or affiliations. It's simply there to, to guide the, the future development um, of the standard uh, as it's put into practice. Uh, So there is a comprehensive standard uh, that has been written. Um, We're also, we're we're having some discussions with um, different standards organizations, um, uh, uh, both uh, in in Europe and Australia uh, in this space. Um, And the standard will be released into the public domain. So it will be a publicly available uh, resource um, and uh, all the the tools uh, and, um, uh, and the methods, are going to be all fully contained within the standard. There will be a website um, that uh, will be released um, where all the uh, uh, information can be um, uh, acquired. And then what we'll be looking for is um, trying to get organisations who want to uh, work with and use the standard to do so and to contribute feedback about um, the different measures um, uh, what sort of metrics that they're getting from them and, uh, uh, and assist with the continuing improvement of the measurement framework.
0: So you, you, I've got a vision for this really then, Kelvin, as to be the kind of universally accepted, internationally accepted way of man- managing safety that yes. we all, we all yeah. kind of contribute to worldwide and yeah. we all accept and, and
1: evolve as well, I suppose, over the years. Yeah, like I said, you know, we've we've been having discussions, like with um, the International Council for Mining and Minerals. We've had discussions with um, uh, BSI. We've had discussions with um, uh, uh, standards in Australia. Um, but yeah, our vision of this is trying to provide. Um, uh, Um, a reference tool and resource and a framework that is universally uh, applicable. And and again, you know, our interest in this is trying to free us from the constraints of the measurement framework we're in, which we think is constraining the real adoption of, you know, the the evolving science in this space. Um, And, uh, uh, and to do that, we figured the only way to do this is to develop something, put it into the public domain.
0: Mm. So you, you see this as a, a, is there a paywall in front of this or is this no. going to be publicly right
1: completely completely free the only thing the only thing we'll ask is that anyone who uses the standard just registers um, to use it right. but okay. there'll be no there'll be no financial uh, transaction involved
0: Wow Wow so you, you're really kind of pushing this as just a, as a kind of very moral obligation on on yep. our as a, you know a call to action for our entire, world i suppose
1: <laughs> and and we're happy find people uh and like, as you see people uh, you know want to critique this stuff before it's even out there um and uh what we were saying is well what we want you to do is come and actually participate and be part of developing something better yeah yeah
0: well just whilst we're, we've got a few minutes left like on, on those kind of criticisms that have come out of that paper um i think w- one of them particularly that sticks in my mind is that we fall into, we may fall into the trap again of just counting uh, paperwork essentially and not actually, not actually delivering um, a measure on on safe work. Like I su- and that comes to my other point around guidance. I suppose like, yeah. w- what's your kind of response to that? That then that kind of criticism. Um, well,
1: I think it's um, I'd say the criticism of ignorance in making criticism without actually uh, uh, understanding the measures and uh, what's contained within them in that why. And it's been absolutely designed to um, uh, to move away from the counting of something uh, as a measure. It's been very much to designed to understand um, particularly the nature of performance, capacity and demand.
0: Right. So do you, do you think then, Kelvin, really that the criticism was of how, how it was put across in that paper, not necessarily, the, because how you've explained it to me today is probably not how I've seen it explained in the criticism. So really, did yeah. the paper go far enough to kind of give
1: you? The paper a- was, like I said, you know, the, the paper was a very short introduction into the yeah. concept, you know, yeah. so um, and there was none of the materiality in that paper behind um, uh, the method and the system and the work that's been put in place. That, that, mm. the, the paper Tumor um, and Decker put together was conceptual um, and it was to actually set the conceptual framework, not the accounting framework, you know. Right. And, uh, okay. So, um, uh, yeah, look, I just think, again, uh, it's uh, people taking something on the surface and making face value observations.
0: Right, right. Okay. Okay and um what's the what's the kind of timeline on this then so when can people start to st- we, see some more about it
1: We're just trying to um, we're just trying to tie up some uh, structural and organizational things uh, <laughs> we were hoping this week to uh, be going live i I now suspect it'll be two to three weeks away but it's it's right. it's it's, it's, it's well, let's say within a month it'll it'll be in the public domain yeah, two to three weeks.
0: And and sorry, I should have asked this a minute ago because that that question sounded like I brought it to an end, and we do need to bring it to an end. But um, on on that international on that council that you're building, is, do you've you envisioned that being an international council? Like, yes. So Europe representatives, you know, UK representatives, Australia, New, uh, America, and so on, and yeah, and we're, kind we're of looking to Yeah, so we're on.
1: looking to attract. Um, uh, uh, if you like in the governance um, structure representatives from you know uh, uh, from an international framework that that's what we're hoping to achieve
0: yeah I think that's really important in my opinion so that because I, I wonder Kelvin and, and this is there's, there's nothing to substantiate this claim whatsoever but I do think that in the UK uh, in my experience a lot of our professional bodies just think that's just how australia do things australia are a bit hippie like and we're not like australia so we don't want to listen to them but i think if this becomes so you mentioned kind of bsi or anything like that you know iso you know if you get them on board and they're in this council that that shoots this up to the the people going to start listening then they go oh this is serious this isn't just james and these safety hippies that have come up with something else this is widely accepted
1: Yeah, so that's why we've been engaging these conversations. That's what we're hoping will happen as we go through the process. But, uh, um, you know, um, the the intention is to have this uh, as an an international model. Um, Mm. Now, you know, um, again, you know, if we take it you now obviously you know deck has been involved in this deck is not you know he lives in Australia but you know he's uh, his basis is out of, out of Sweden you know um, and that's uh, his, his connection uh, Clyde and Co um, you know are one of the world's largest um, uh, legal firms and particularly one of the largest uh, legal firms in the safety space uh, yeah. globally yeah. you know so um, so, you know, it's it just by the nature of, um, uh, of, of uh, circumstance that, you know, that there's some, it, there's some work coming out of Australia on this, but it's not, it's not, um, uh, origin from Australia.
0: No, I, and I get, and I get what you're saying, you know, I think that it, and again, there's nothing to kind of substantiate what I've just said. It is literally just the, the lack of bite on the hook, if I'm honest, in the UK, um, you know we we, we we maybe there's a few people nibbling at the bit at the bait but there's no one really taking a good chunk and and getting hooked and and I, and I think part of that is that we're so far removed from places like australia that are doing mostly you know doing better than us um on their acceptance of this of this you know new new way i suppose if you want to look at it um i, I just wonder whether there's part of me that that sees it as like until, until one of those big organizations bite, because, you know, it really helps when we're seeing BP taken on, you know, human organization performance, which they did years ago. But even then it's like a lot of people look at this and go, Oh, that's just oil and gas. We're not oil and gas. We're just construction. And it's just, so then you get well, Raw. I, I, do I, I it can say that, do you um, know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I can say that there are some large globals in Europe um, who are examining this at the moment as well. Mm. Um, so, uh, we, we, we hope to, you know, um, see that materialise and you'll see some, you know, significant leaders in this space taking it on board. But, awesome. Um, it's, it's, I appreciate that, that observation. Um, the world isn't centred in Australia. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's
0: not centred in the UK either. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, you know, but, but we are very keen to be part of you know, trying to be part of a global conversation and, you know, and harnessing global ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Well, Kelvin, thank you very much for coming on and explaining that. It was nice to get some meat on the bones with that. And I, and I look forward to, to to seeing it come out as well. So thank you yeah, very much. And
1: James, we'll very we'll keep you informed about all the release information so that uh, once it is coming up live, very keen. And, and please reconnect. And, you know, if there's anything you want to know, I'd be more than happy to share it with you.
0: Uh, thank you very much yeah as soon as there's information i'll share it out as well so thank you very much
1: great james have a great day you too mate
0: okay peeps hope you enjoyed that conversation with kelvin thank you very much uh to kelvin for coming on and talking about this framework um at the time of recording this intro i believe the framework is kind of not really ready yet i've not seen anything come out yet i know they were oops, sorry just hit my mic um this is framework's not quite ready yet. Um, I know that it was uh, due to come out in a matter of weeks when we first recorded this a long time ago. We've been holding them back for a while. There's a queue of content anyway uh, that we had, um, and I'm not seeing anything. So we're waiting on confirmation. But the second that we do have confirmation of the stuff coming out, we're going to update the links uh, below. Um, so have a look in the description below. If between the time that this goes out and me recording this, there is stuff for you to look at, The links will be in the description if two years down the line you're listening to this podcast the links will be in the description so check out the description all the links for paradigm there's a phone number email address website all of that's in the description below There'll also be links for rebranding safety. So go check out what we do over at rebranding safety. There's loads of stuff we can do to help you out. Media services, if you're a brand looking to increase awareness um, within the safety profession, we've got a massive audience um, that we would love to kind of uh, partner with and help you help them. We provide loads and loads of services where we can help you rebrand safety yourself, help you become a much better organisation. So go check out rebrand safety. Go check out Project Miletium, which is our Uh, membership for safety professionals to make better safety professionals as well there's loads of stuff we're doing, all the links are in the description don't forget to check out Paradigm, I'll catch you next week, safe the views and opinions expressed in this podcast
1: are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilized in real life as the only solution available assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies